talk to you about a mystery. I, I like to be able to go through the Bible and explain mysteries. There are mysteries in, in the Christian experience. And I want to talk to you about the God's strange way of showing love. God has a strange, I mean, I, and I say this with all due respect, understand what I'm saying here. I'm not saying God is strange, but he's strange to us. Uh, the way he loves us would not be the way we would normally and generally say this is the way things ought to go. In fact, there's a lot of things in my life that God has done for me that personally, at the moment they were happening, I did not appreciate how many out here say amen to that. Uh, in fact, if, if, if I had my own... Uh, directing ability in my life, I would have said, how about you cut that? I, I don't want to go through that. I, I, I don't think of it. But praise God, I'm not making those decisions. Uh, I happen to have a good mom and dad. I say about good mom and dad, they were born again at 33 years old. And they really, they got it. They meant it. They gave their life to Christ. They uh, were pursuing God. They pursued the Bible. My dad and mom both taught Sunday school for many, many years. I remember a vision of my, uh, going back in my mind of my parents, I would see them in the evening instead of having TV on, they would be uh, studying their Sunday school lessons just by the hour, just by the day. This just melts into, my dad loved the book of Revelation. He would go through the book of Revelation, teach it at the church. Uh, they were full-time business, full-time real estate people. And they would also had a floor covering store and real estate in a couple of states, Michigan and Indiana, and were pursuing business. But my dad was a soul winner, led numbers of people to Christ through the years in his presenting homes or showing homes. He would come back and say, they got saved, but I didn't make the sale. And he said, but I'd rather have them saved than make the sale. And my dad in, in oftentimes would take me out estimating, estimating. He would work all day long. And then at, uh, after supper at 7 o'clock at night, he would go do estimates, floor covering estimates. And we would be out. He'd take me with him to have some company. We'd be out to 10 at night a lot of times. And a lot of what he did was tell people about Jesus. I mean, he'd measure their kitchen and give them a price on what it cost to redo their kitchen or bathroom. But he'd more tell them about Jesus. And sometimes as a kid, I could tell by, by what happened that he lost a job because he made him mad about telling them about Jesus, telling them they had a need for salvation. He did it in a, in a, in a discreet way. He did it in a kind way, but he, he didn't let them get away without, real, without realizing if they died, they were going to, if you die without Christ, you're going to hell. There's no nice way of saying that. I mean, when you go to somebody that thinks they're righteous and they're relying on their own righteousness, and you tell them that's not going to cut it, it's the only way you're going to get to heaven is in Jesus' righteousness, and because of Jesus' righteousness, not your religion, not your institution, not your tag, not your brand, not your good works, 
it tends to make people mad, that are, especially that are full of pride. And so I'd see my dad sacrifice job after job for the sake of the gospel, and I'm sure today he's happy he did that. Um, as he's been in heaven now since 01. But I want to talk to you about a passage, and this is expositional for you that like that. Uh, God's strange way of showing love. I was, I was, as I was meditating over my parents' uh, odd way or strange way of loving me, I remember so many times my dad, especially my dad, my mom would also, but my dad would spank me uh, over a thing called a hassock. How many here know what a hassock is? Raise your hand. Amen. Well, God bless you, most of you. That's just a round cushion thing you put your feet on. We didn't have we didn't have recliners back then. You just had a round thing out in front of your chair. And he would say, you get over that. And then he'd take his belt off, and he would lay it on me. I mean, sometimes I'd have to take, uh, I'd be skin to belt. You know what I mean by that? Um, it was a very uncomfortable, the way the doctor says uncomfortable which means you're going to hurt so bad you won't even believe it. Uh, doctor will say this would be a little or slightly uncomfortable run. Um, uh, my dad w would spank me uh, uh, Sunday back, back then. And, you know, I don't know why they didn't have junior church back then. But they should have had junior church back when I was raised. Instead, they'd bring the kids into the main auditorium, and every Sunday I'd get a whipping after church. Every Sunday I'd get a whipping after church. And I mean, you know, it was like this. I'd mis be misbehaving, they'd go like this. I meant one swat or one with a, with a belt. Then I'd be, I'm, I'm slow. And I'd go like two. Before the, before the preacher got done with his message, a full five. Now five was bad. Three was horrible. Five was really bad. And I'd be like, oh, no, I got where I hated going. Didn't want to go to church. Didn't want to go. I, well, what a beautiful thing it would have been if I could have gone to a junior church where I could have been taught more into my level and also maybe not gotten spanked so much afterwards, you know. But uh, nevertheless, uh, I was not one of those, uh, what are you going to say, obedient or tame children. Uh, my dad would assure me when we got home, and he said, get over the hassock, he would assure me that this was going to hurt him more than it hurt me. I didn't know my dad to lie other than that. I knew that he loved me. I had no doubt that my dad loved me. And, I, I, and I, I, somehow in my mind, I knew this had to be good. But, you know, I just couldn't see any good in it. Can you blame me? I couldn't see any good in it. How many here could not see any good when you were getting a whip? Right in the moment of getting a whip, I couldn't see any good in it. <clears throat> I could see good when my brother got whipped. <clears throat> Sometimes when my brother got, we all had to be there as witnesses. So we all had to stand around a thing when when it was happening. And I'd be there, and I if you laughed or smiled when your brother, I had two other brothers, uh, got spanked, you would get it. He'd say, "Oh, you think that's funny? Well, you're getting it now." So you get over there while he was in the mood. There was, when, when, the, when the spanking occurred, there was no lovey, dovey, happy, gooey, mushy spirit present. Uh, it was a stressful, hard environment, a field with pain. Uh, there was, in that environment and in that moment, there was some begging going on. Like, would you please, I won't do it again, lie, I won't do it again, I won't do it again. 
I would, I would cry, and some, even some screaming and some just general awfulness. Um, and it was something I never wanted to re repeat, but did over and over again through the years. I must have been spanked at least 100 times. I lost track over 100, probably at least. But it was repeated, and this went on for years until I was probably about 12 or 13 when the punishment became a little differently. But why, why did that have to go on? Why did my loving mom and dad who birthed me whoop on me so much? Why? Well, I'm going to tell you why. Are you ready to hear it? Because I was a born liar. I was a born thief. I was born disobedient, hateful, mean-spirited, self-centered, self-promoting, self-consumed, egotistical, smart-mouth, unthankful, unholy, backbiter, betrayer, etc., etc., etc. That isn't the whole list. In other words, I had the evil nature like you have. And I had the nature to do, now, now you say, oh, Brother Bill, I never did that. Now you're lying now. And it took a lot of sessions that I described around that hassock to try to convince me that crime did not pay. One major goal of my parent, or any parent, for their child is to teach them that wrong is wrong. We got an idiotic group of people, about 62 million of them, coincidentally, that somehow believe wrong is not wrong. In fact, they don't believe in an absolute set of rules or right, wrong or right. They believe that rules are made by the culture and the moment in time. In other words, murder isn't necessarily murder if you don't call it murder. That's why we've aborted 60 plus million babies. It, they, they, they went to all of that trouble to try to teach me that right was right and that crime never paid and they used a, a tool to help me to get it. And you know what it was, don't you? Pain. Pain. Uh, and then what they were, really the big lesson they wanted to teach me was pain accompanies wrong. I got it. I got Praise the Lord. Praise God for good parents that love you. Pain, if you can get through to your kids that wrong eventually will cause you pain, ooh, you have done a great thing and a wonderful thing. Because really it mirrors the bigger picture where God is trying to teach us that wrong will equal pain called hell, called the lake of fire. Read about the lake of fire. Read about hell in the Bible and tell me that it's not associated with pain. Every level of pain, emotional pain, social pain, physical pain, every kind of pain that is imaginable is associated with a place called hell, a place called the lake of fire. And, and what God is saying to us in the Bible is, if you continue on the road of unrighteousness, you will eventually suffer horrible pain. 
And that's why he sent his only begotten son, so that he would suffer that pain and justly pay for the sins we've committed. The Bible calls it dying for our sins in our place, really. And if we would accept it by faith through his mercy and grace, we would miss the pain and our sins would be forgiven. That way he could be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. Let's read our text, Hebrews chapter 12. Take your Bible if you would. If you don't have a Bible, there's a red, bright red book, a little different color than the hymn book, a bright red book in front of you there, in, uh, and you can read it in there. By the way, we recommend and highly love and only use the King James Bible here to Old Gospel. If you're using some other version, I highly recommend you get rid of it and go ahead and get a King James Bible. And not a new King James, not a revised King James, but a King James Bible. And use it with us. You will be, you will be glad you did uh, 50 years from now. You'll be, much, you'll be glad. By the way, you'll still be using the same Bible. That would be a switch, huh? Uh, For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, wherefore, wherefore, circle that, will you? Wherefore what? All are partakers. Then ye are bastards and not sons. I love the King James because that word will stick in your mind. Furthermore, we have our, as our, our fathers of our flesh, which corrected us and who gave them, we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure. And that was my mom and dad, and it was a good thing. But he, for our profit, that we might be partakers of what? His holiness. By the way, without holiness, the Bible says in 13th chapter, I think it is Hebrews, no man shall see the Lord. Now, no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. In the midst of the process, it's grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Real love, real love is vitally connected to pain. I want you to get this. Remember I told you this was odd, right? I told you this was strange, right? Real love is vitally connected to pain. In the childbearing process, if you have, if you decide to have children or you have children, there will be pain in the process. First pain is your woman, right? She goes through the childbearing process, very painful process. Uh, I'm not talking about just having a baby. I'm talking about getting gargantuous. Losing her girlish figure. Standing in, on the side, sitting on the side of the bed crying like a baby. I want to have the baby. I want this out of me. And the husband's scratching his head going, what have I done? <laughs> All of God's children must endure this process that God has made for us. Remember the word all in the passage? All. We're talking about children of God here, right? 
all these words like chastisement and scourgeth are not, by the way, for punitive judgment. God is not punitively punishing us. Now, what is punitive punishment? Punitive punishment is punishment for punishment's sake. It's that you did something wrong and you're just going to suffer, not to change you. God's chastisement and scourging is to change us. Now, if you reject Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and you don't believe the Bible, eventually you're going to face Jesus at the great white throne judgment, and then he will punitively punish you in a place called hell. Hell is not to change anybody. It's not a place of reformation. It's a place of punitive punishment for your sins. And so it's important to notice that, that the words chastise and scourge are not punitive, but they're corrective. The idea is uh, not to do permanent harm to you and to me, but listen to this, get this, is to change our opinion on what we are doing. You say, Brother Bill, our opinion, yeah, we have a strong opinion, don't we? Aren't we stubborn? Um, He's trying to help us because we, uh, the pain is used as an attention getter. I don't know about you, but pain gets my attention, amen? I can learn more in 10 minutes of pain than I could in a whole semester of college. I mean, you go to the dentist, what do you learn? You learn that's a pain domain. But you go to the dentist and that, 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 aren't you glad? Aren't you glad for dentists this morning? We are hard to change if you're honest with yourself. Even in the small things, your opinion is like the words of God. Well, I'm digging you. Well, the Bible says it. The Bible says it. Every man's right in his own eyes. Uh, your opinion is right. Why? Because you're thorough. You've thought it out. You've thought it through. It's got to be the way it is. And da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Because we're just right in our own eyes. And there's not much going to correct us for that. God has to come with some pain to help you Get your attention, first of all. And after that attention, then he can teach you that what you think about this area is wrong and what he thinks about it is right. Now, does he do that because he just loves to cause us pain? I'm going to tell you, I'm a parent. When I spanked my son, it hurt me more than it did him. There's skeptics in this room. But the truth of the matter is, you that have had children know how it hurts you to spank your child. It hurts your feelings to have birthed something, cleaned him, fed him, you know, kept him alive, worried about his safety, done everything, and then have to sit there and spank him. I mean, it just seems crazy. But, well, I remember when my son, first time he lied, he thought, he, you know, all kids try out lying. They see if it works good. He tried out lying, and I, I told my wife, I spanked him, and I made a scene of that thing because I told my wife, I'd rather have this child dead than a liar. But the process 
of being spanked by God proves your identity. Look in verse 7. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. But what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? And I know I'm speaking to a group of people where there is an exception here, an exception there, of a child who you never spanked. Uh, all I can tell you is exceptions don't make the rule, and don't keep quoting the exception as if it's a rule. If you never got spanked, first of all, you should have gotten spanked, and you know it. You got away with it, and you just didn't get caught for everything that you did in secret. And so don't try to sit there with some halo over your head, turn it off, uh, as if somehow you're better than the rest of us who had to get whipped real good to save our souls. Here it says in this verse, there's no exceptions. Those who deny they need it or do not receive it, the Bible says, are pretending to be God's children. Is that what it says or not? A bastard is, is, is an illegitimate son. Is a person who thinks they're not legitimately the child that they pretend to be. And there's a whole bunch of folks out there pretending to be God's children or not God's children in the reality of it. Look at verse 8. For if ye be without chastisement, which we are protection of pastors, not sons. So that's as clear as it is. Even our corrupt earthly parents spanked us because they recognized the necessity of this process. Now, I know we live in an age of Dr. Spock. That came up in my area. Well, I'm not talking about Star Trek. I'm talking about the guy who said you didn't need to spank your children. He was an idiot and died an idiot and never did raise a good kid. Look in verse 9. We had fathers which after affliction corrected us and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chasten us after their own pleasure. But for he, God, for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness... God has better motives and purer love than did our parents. God does it for our profit that we may have his thinking processes on truth and error. I think of King Solomon in 1 Kings chapter 3. You may want to go there. It's a good verse to know. 1 Kings chapter 3 verse 9. I think of King Solomon. Solomon, David's son, uh, receives this massive kingdom at the very pinnacle of its power. David had been saving for the temple. Uh, God didn't allow him to do it because he was a man of war. And he said, your son, which is a man of peace, is going to build it for me. I mean, so David, man, he saved and saved and saved and saved. And if I remember, I got my numbers right. He saved something around $4 billion in our equivalent money to get the temple ready to build. So when Solomon came up to his throne, the the kingdom was as big as it ever had been. They were in absolute peace. All the enemies were taken care of by David. All the money and the materials were collected for the temple. Even the people who needed to do it were gathered together. Solomon was able to step up to the plate and go ahead and do it. But listen to Solomon's spirit when God, when he, when he realizes, of course, that he's being placed in, in this responsibility. In 1 Kings 3.9, he says, give therefore thy servant, this is Solomon's request to God, give therefore thy servant an understanding heart to judge thy people, that I may discern between good and bad, for who is able to judge so great a people? 
Do not take for granted that you automatically know the difference between good and bad. He did not take it for granted. He said, if I'm to know the difference between good and bad, you got to give it to me. God, got you got to give it to me. You don't walk around as an automatic, oh, I got her down. I know what's good. I know what's bad. There's a lot of confusion in our world today, mostly because of colleges and what they're teaching and postmodernism and inclusivism and 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 this, this heresy that there's no right, no wrong, uh, agnosticism and relativism and all these other nerves, and they're being inundated in the minds of these kids there, idiotcy. And you don't want to live in a world where people don't know absolute right and absolute wrong. Otherwise, they'll fly from Alaska and shoot some people. They'll shoot up Columbine school. They'll walk in there and kill 15 people. And won't, won't blink their eye. Why? Because you're not a human anyways. If you're just a evolutionary accident by random chance, what difference does it make? That's what these kids have been pushed on. They're pushed on. God says, no, you're an eternal, never-dying soul that I have made in my image. That's what God says. And when you come to Christ and receive him as your personal Savior, you got a massive amount of misunderstanding, a massive amount of, of, of misconceptions of what's truly right and wrong. Nobody's born with the knowledge of right and wrong. God says, everybody that is my son comes under this process of chastisement and scourging. Look up the word scourging. The word means to flog. Everybody comes under this process so that you can be partakers of who I am, which is what? God is truth. Jesus said it before Pilate. He's truth. It's the reality of the universe is God. Whenever, when all the dust settles in this universe, there's only going to be God and those who believe in him and those who follow him. In Hebrews chapter 5, verse 13, 14, we see a definition of maturity, Christian maturity. It says in verse 13 there, For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he's a babe. But strong meat belongeth to them that are full age, even, full age means maturity, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. The same thing that Solomon said was so absolutely necessary for him to know to be a good leader of the people was the difference between right and wrong. So, we must be careful not to judge the process by its pain but by its product. Look at verse 11. For no chastening, for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grieve us, grieve us. But what is the product? Afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. The word exercise means like to lift weights. It means to stress. It means to push. You can't get bigger muscles without having some pain. No pain, no gain. It's true. 
If we do not get this thinking straight on what is right and what is wrong, then we will be hurt by that process because we will not understand. God chastens us and brings us to a place of understanding through this process of chastisement, which is basically can be shaken out as pain. There are no good children who don't need this process. So what am I saying to you this morning? What's the Bible saying? If you're a child of God, maybe you're a new believer, God is going to, of necessity, bring pain into your life. It's going to come in a way that you probably didn't expect. It's going to be more serious than you ever expected. And it may last longer than you ever expected. But be very, very, very careful not to judge God because of it. Because the devil comes by when you're in this process. Because remember, in the process, it's grievous. It's grievous. It's not, oh, I'm so happy. God loves me and he's chastening me. Chastening for the moment is a grievous process. And, and any child of God will be going before God saying, Lord Jesus, I got it. I got it. You can take the pain away now. I got it. Thank you for it. Thank you for caring for me. But God says, no, no, you don't have it. I told my dad, I don't ever need to be spanked again. He goes, no, you're probably going to need it again. Oh. <coughs> the key in the process when God is, is spanking you, when God is causing you to have some pain so that you'll look up, so that you'll quit trusting in yourself and start trusting in him, when he's doing that, you got to be careful in the process you don't get bitter. How many kids I've met, adults, that are bitter to mom and dad. Ooh, my, 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 my. Bitter, 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 bitter. I'm sympathetic. I'm not here to judge people, but I can tell you this, being bitter don't hurt anybody but the one who's bitter. Being bitter to your mom and dad didn't hurt them at all, but it does hurt you. It does destroy you. Is there anything worse than a bitter person? Folks, is there? Bitter people. Bitter people are hard to be around. Bitter people see things through, through uh, bitter glasses. They, they look at things through a skewed, a skewed set of, 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 of vision. I learned, uh, praise God, when one day I woke up to this, this what I'm trying to teach here, so ineptly, uh, and I try. I began to say, God, I, I, I begin to get this. I have to have this if I'm ever going to be like you because I'm so opinionated, I'm so self-righteous, I'm so egocentric that I think with the way I look at the world, my worldview is the best one. When you say, no, that's not the right view, my view is the only way there really is It's going to last. You need to catch my holiness, my view of the world, my view of things, and I began to thank God for the pain. I began to thank God. Uh, it'd be like going to your mom and dad and say, thank you for spanking me. By the way, by the way, I did that. When I grew up a little bit, I and, and God had a kid of my own, and realized how hard it was, 
I went to my mom and dad, and I said, thank you, thank you, thank you for spanking me. Thank you for not giving up on me. Thank you for not getting too tired. Man, hey, anybody on a sweet Sunday afternoon after a nice church service want to come home and have a big old, big old blowout with a spanking? Sometimes they had to spank all three of us boys. All three of us, right on the same afternoon. It, it just made a rough atmosphere. Thank the Lord I had a mom and dad who cared about me more than they cared about themselves. Thank God they cared about me more than they cared about peace. And God cares more about you than he does about your feelings. That's the deep stuff. He cares more about you than he does whether you like him, whether you think he's right, whether you understand it. You don't have to understand it. You can be sure that God's good, and he's good all the time. And you can be sure that he's going to help you. Look in Chapter 12, we're already there. Chapter 12, verse 15. It says, Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, thereby how much? Many be defiled. Bitterness cannot be contained in one, one vessel. It will spread. It's like, it's like melanoma cancer. It'll go to every part of the body. It'll ruin a marriage. It'll ruin a job relationship with an employer. It'll ruin your friendships. It'll ruin, it'll spread like cancer and destroy every good thing you ever wanted to have. By the way, God's not the problem. We are. These long-held deep iniquities and false belief systems that we naturally inherit from the evil nature must be rooted out if we are to survive. I remember having a cavity as a young man, 10-year-old. And I'm so old that I remember going to the dentist when they had this little sink beside you with a little water going around it. In fact, I remember before the water going around, they'd just give you a little cup and you'd spit in it, right in front of the nurse, everything. And I remember I had an old dentist. He's probably he's, he should have quit practicing ten years before he ever touched me. But he didn't believe in Novocaine. He didn't believe in it. He said if you had Novocaine, you're a sissy. So he would he had and he had his drill had a cord on it, not those fast high pressure. He had this cord on it that went around a couple wheels and went around a deal, and that thing and he'd get in there and on that cavity. I remember going in. He'd say, now that cavity was bad. It was decay. It was going to destroy my tooth, possibly give me uh, bone infection. I mean, who knows what it was going to do. But he had to get rid of it, right? So he got in there, and he, and he, and I would just hang on and sweat coming down. I'd, I'd say, I can't take it. I can't take it anymore. You got to stop. And I'd rest a while. He'd say, are you ready? I'd say, okay, do it again. And he hit me again. Oh, that wasn't enough. I said, oh, I got to rest a while. I'd rest a while. He'd hit me a third time, brother. Then we paid him. Man, what kind of people am I? 
If God could fix you with words, he'd fix you with words. And if you can raise the kids with just words, you can do that, but you can't. It takes more than words. We have a school back here. We know something about kids. Hebrews chapter 12, look in verse 28, 29. Wherefore we receiving the kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace, whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. Commit your soul unto the faithful creator and trust him as things unfold in your life. I'd like to tell you as a born-again Christian, you're not going to suffer any pain. Everything's going to be up roses. Everything's going to be good. Stocks are always up. Money's better. Debt's down. But it's not the truth. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6 and 7, it says, Wherein you greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations or trials. That's a trial of your faith. That's what this is all about. That's what this is all about. The trial of your faith. Being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found under praise and honor and glory into the appearing of Jesus Christ. If, if I had a, a stack of gold right here, you know, bars of gold stacked up over here, and I had gout over here, which would you choose? I don't know if you've had gout. I hope you didn't. But some of the most painful form of arthritis. And gold... Gout, GG, gold gout. Remember that? Gold gout. What you gonna choose? Well, if you've got if you've got spiritual sense, well, first of all, you can't choose any. You know, we'd always choose the gold. I want the gold. Pain, suffering. I want the gold. But the Bible says God chooses that for you because He loves you and you're His child. And as a child, he's got to choose it for you because you can't choose it because you're always going to want to choose the comfort rather than the pain. But the pain is where the gout is what's going to help you be a spiritual and partake of my holiness. The gold is not going to help you there. And he says the trial of your faith, that's over here in the gout. He said this trial of your faith is going to help build in you the truth. The whole truth. And nothing but the truth. So help you God. And that's what's going on in every one of the lives of born-again Christians in this room and anybody that hears this over the internet. It is God working in you His plan. Now, don't judge Him. Give Him a chance. Trust Him. I knew... My mom and dad loved me. That was foundational. Because as I got my spankings through the years, I did not become bitter at them. First of all, I knew me, and I knew I needed it. I knew I needed help from somewhere. Otherwise, I was going to be a proverbial liar. I was going to be a proverbial thief. I was going to be I was going to be a smoker, a drinker, a cusser, and acting ugly. I'd be unfit to be around. But they said, we're going to help you because you're our son. Thank God for that. 
I thank God for a, a God that loves me and cares for me so deeply. He's willing to allow me to be to to sit there and watch as I'm just uncomfortable, as I'm in pain, because that pain will get my attention and eventually bring me around to seeing the truth His way. The truth His way, and build in me. A biblical worldview. A worldview that agrees with God. The Bible calls it holiness. Father, help us this morning to be able to understand God's method, God's strange way of loving us. Forgive us where we've judged Him and become self-righteous even in that. Forgive us if we've become bitter. There's lots of people I've met through the years bitter at God, mad at God. Why did he take my child? Why did he allow this to happen? Why did I get in an accident? Why did I get cancer? Why did I get this? Why did I get that? Rather than saying why, why don't you just trust in the living God who made heaven and earth? And say, thank you, Jesus, because I know that you care about me. You came, you died on the cross, you were big. Father, you gave your only begotten son for me. It's a matter of trust. I trusted my mom and dad. But more than that, I trust the God who made me. There may be some in this room this morning who are struggling with bitterness towards God. Something's come into your life. Your reaction is, God, that's just not right. Why don't you trust God that he's going to use that as you submit to him, as you look up to him, He'll submit it. Many of the afflictions of the righteous, the Bible said, but the Lord delivereth him out of them all. Eventually you'll be delivered. When you're ushered into heaven and into that mansion, he's prepared for you to spend all eternity pain-free, to spend all eternity without crying, to spend all eternity without sorrow. It will be worth every mile of the trip. Help me, Lord. Don't leave me to myself. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand. If you would like to know more about Jesus and the subject preached on, please contact us at gospel at mygbcs.com or call us at 239-947-1285. God bless.